Hi there, you're joining the Wednesday's Child Podcast again. And today I have Sarah Ledger with me again. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm really looking forward to today's session. So we're going to be talking about the nonsense of kind of all that dining out stuff that goes on when we have to start heading out to restaurants again and also talking about your bullshit bowl. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the bullshit bowl? Because I kind of feel like we left the last session telling everybody about the great world of Sarah Ledger and her bullshit bowl and didn't tell them more about what that looks like and what that is. Well, I think, you know, anyone who knows me and actually follows me on Instagram and what have you will know that one, I think one of my favourite recovery words is bullshit. And there was <laughs> one time when um, my, my care team, I was famous for it. But um, I brought along the bullshit bowl. Excellent. And, and this is the actual bowl that I used to have everything in. So um, I'd be, you know, saying, you know, I'm doing brilliant work because I'm eating ice cream or I'm doing brilliant work because I'm eating porridge and, and uh, pasta and rice and whatever. But actually... What it was doing is that anorexia was controlling at this time. I mean, you can see it, it fits in, it literally fits in the bowl. Yeah, I should say at this point, if anybody's just listening to one podcast, they've got to go to the Instagram channel and our YouTube channel and Sarah's Instagram post just to see how shit your bowl looks. And I'll, dis- I'll describe it as well for the podcast viewers to the size of, so there's the cereal bowl. So that's like, you, c- you can fit it in. You can't even see it once it's yeah. in the um, cereal bowl. But honest, Debbie, this was everything, everything I had in here. And this is the bit where your eating disorder, my eating disorder was, was, was fibbing and lying to me and taking me down an absolute rabbit warren because yeah. by doing this, I want, this is not recovery. Eating out of this bullshit bowl is not recovery. This is, this is that kind of crazy stage where you're telling yourself you're doing all this thing that's wonderful and you're being able to talk to therapists or nurses or whatever about the fact that, yes, I, I'm challenging myself to have pasta, I'm challenging myself to have cereal. But actually, you're not in control of anything with that. No one in their right mind wants to eat cereal, that tiny portion. They want, you know, great big, lovely big bowls full of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I was also thinking about what you said last time we got together about, obviously, when you're feeding your children as well. Well, this is, this is not, a, that's not a child's bowl. That's a baby's bowl. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminds me of the sort of thing you have, like, as a as a snack bowl on the side when your friends come round and it would have a few peanuts in it, but you'd be filling the bowl up within 10 minutes. Yeah. That's the difference, isn't it? Yeah, if you're having that in a party, it'd be full every, every two minutes and your friends would be saying, oh, it's there, get the bigger bowl out. Yeah. But that, that, was, that was your dinner. So I, think, I suppose it's kind of one of those, it's really great when people, and when you start to challenge new foods and you start to put foods back into your diet that you've, you've, you've been restricting and you've been ignoring for ages and you're totally fearful of, that's brilliant. But just be very, very careful of the stages you're going through and actually are you fooling yourself that you're eating real portions um but yeah. well, i suppose one good thing though about the bullshit bowl is once you i called it out at that it did allow me then a gateway to the bigger ones so i've always done like i talked about last time that gradual and phased exposure so the stepped process yeah because yeah. i mean actually truth be told as you know as much as i i completely get it and i i did similar to you i genuinely don't think you know if you go into the kind of nicer crockery stores and you see the plates that have pasta around the outside they're huge bowls aren't they and just the same way that like these days our wine glasses have got bigger and bigger and bigger bowls that are made for pasta if somebody had given me a plate full of pasta in that size bowl at you know early phases of my recovery all it would have done is push me right back so you you know the phase process kind of makes sense but I think like you say if you stick with that sort of tiny crockery cutlery or whatever for too long all you're doing is that quasi recovery you're just you're never challenging yourself even though you're the dialogue is telling yourself you are and I think it's it's been really careful that 
when you're starting to break behaviors and obviously there will be they'll become a new habit which is which is potentially better than the other habit but ultimately actually that habit then at some point will need changing and modifying again so yeah. it, this is not you know it's not a quick fix it's not something that's going to happen overnight this it, it takes a long gradual approach this but but you can as long as you keep checking in right has that become a bit normal has that become a bit habitual right okay i need to shift shift, yeah. shift back in now and change to something different and it's interesting you you talk there about behaviors and patterns because something i wanted to talk about today is um about the opening up of of hospitality venues and the ability to go out and eat and drink and stuff again now which obviously we haven't really been able to go out to those social venues since what middle of march and now all of a sudden there's the opportunity to do so and it was dawning on me that even if you've been quite away through recovery for three months now 12 12 weeks is long enough to form a habit again and i would say for anybody that's already had an eating disorder i could see that there's a danger there of sort of entrenching yourself again back into that world of being fearful of going out fearful of having social eating can you see that being a problem for people now yeah, definitely, because it doesn't take much of an excuse, does it, for, for that dark voice to actually get you gripped and bring you back into their world again. And, and I know we were talking earlier on about how, you know, your eating disorder or anorexia, they don't want you to be friends and social with anybody else because they've, they've got you and they want you to you, to them. Um, so I can really see that for, potentially for some people, this could take their progress, what might feel like a bit of a step back. But I've always... Those step, those step backs necessarily aren't always a bad thing, I don't think, because it's about maybe having to go back to what feels like a starting point. But you have got this learning in your brain that you've gone through already. So potentially, yes, you might have taken a little step backwards, but it maybe isn't as far back as the original step. As you think. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so it might just be that actually you just need to familiarise yourself and remember some of the, the tricks and techniques. And there is nothing wrong whatsoever in getting your recovery toolkit out. Um, no. you know, the countless I can just countless times that I've been in spins and thought, and I'm right, take a step back, Sarah. What's your process? What do you do? And then just go, just going through that recovery toolkit mechanism to get you back on into the swing of things. Can you remember much about the first few times when you were going back out to use restaurants and cafes in your recovery? Can you kind of reflect on how that felt for you? Yeah, I, mine was kind of. It was the overwhelming sense of choice for me that was was the real biggie because I'd been so controlled and restricted by it. But I think also because of it being um, kind of combined with that um, the exercise compulsion as well, that right. the exercise compulsion had been taken away because that's the first thing that I had to break. Um, it then it then heightened the anxiety around social eating and cafes and things because obviously there was no none of the behaviours that could be associated with the exercise going on also. Oh, okay. So your relationship with food was really tied with kind of an energy expenditure versus yeah, kind of in versus out. Yeah, all about being earned and, and you know what what could you justify that day and you know what what you what were you allowed? Uh, so cafes brought about all sorts of 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 different waves of behaviors and emotions because obviously what what you were allowed was completely out of your control but also just the overwhelm of choice i know you spoke about last time about yours was the actual like the social situation the noise and yeah so actually it was interesting for me so i think i think you know the food aspect is one element of it but for me 
Uh, yeah, as I mentioned last time, I think stuff like being back in that environment again and often when your emotions are really heightened, it's almost like being a stroppy teenager where a single little thing goes wrong and you feel angry. And I, I can remember the first few times, you know, and I might have sat down in a cafe and I, even if I'd chosen at the, at the counter what I was going to eat and then I'd sit down at a table and then I'd, whoever I'm with, I'd be like, oh no, no, there's a draft there. No, we can't sit there. No, no, no I'm cold yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or it'd be like, he's chewing really loudly. Have you seen that guy? I think he's bringing his dog in. Can you not smell that? Can you smell the kitchen from here? And it was almost like any reason that my eating good disorder could tell me that, oh no, it's too uncomfortable to eat. <laughs> yeah, I could completely get that. And everything happened to be really, really perfect because it's almost like in my head, if I was going to do this big thing and, and if, you know, if this was going to actually happen, then it had to be absolutely spot on. Or the opposite was that I already told myself that this was all I was going to eat all day. So therefore, uh, it had to be perfect because this was it. So if, if this went wrong, then that, the rest of the day was going to be a disaster. Um, so yeah, so I, to I totally get that idea of things happen to be absolutely right. But even things like the position of where my drink was and, and everything. So there was a... Yeah. The thing with social eating that a lot of people who haven't lived through it don't understand that actually it's it's the whole package it's there are a million things going on in that one event that people who are normal take totally for granted but actually when you're entrenched in in, in an eating disorder there is so much going on that it is just it's it it's just information overload it, it's yeah. an, an figure overload so that's why i just think again i just had to do a come up with a real set of, of kind of Lexus recovery toolkit guidelines that, that yeah. I, I had to keep practicing and keep doing it. And all the time they started to, to dissipate. But then once they started to feel habitual, because that wasn't normal, I then had to think like, what's my new toolkit? And then start building from that point. So it's a long process. I have to say, I can remember it feeling really emotionally exhausting. Like, so whenever I came back out of a cafe or whatever, you know, the first few weeks and months, I was getting back into social eating. Um, I used to talk with someone about, you know, you, you know, like after Christmas, you talk about it when you've eaten on Christmas day and you get like a food coma. You used to call it like just, you know, like you're kind of utterly shattered. I used to get that feeling once I got home from eating, but it wasn't really from just the food. It was the emotional drain of thinking about it before, going there, realizing they haven't got that on the menu, feeling quite angry about it, really uptight about it, trying not to let that come across in front of the friends and the family with eating the damn food, trying to sit with it, trying to still be conversational, then finally getting home and feeling like you just want to burst into tears or release some kind of energy and emotion, which, as you say, it's all that stuff that anybody without an eating disorder experience just doesn't get. Well, that's why it's so important to kind of have your tribe around you if you can. Yeah. I know there will be people listening to this that are by yourselves, and there are things you can do. And at some point, if you rely on your tribe, you then got to break that as well and, and start to do it by yourself because that's a whole yeah. different of fish. But if you are fortunate enough to be able to have people around you, you need to have those real proper conversations beforehand. You know, you need to sit with your best friend or your partner or whomever and, and say, I am going to find this tricky. I know I now acknowledge and recognize how hard I find this. And they've probably known this forever. I mean, the amount of times I used to say that to people and, and they go like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Like, yeah. <laughs> we're not stupid we get yeah, we know we've known you long enough but they are so grateful that you've said i really really need your help here um yeah i remember one occasion there's you know the, the menu's on a blackboard so in front of a menu in a blackboard in a pub and just I just was i was just frozen 
And um, it just, you know, my husband just came over and just whispered in, me, in my ear, what we're going to have today then. And that's all it took. It just snapped out that moment. And then it was that kind of what, what the first thing your eyes fall on was always my rule of what you have. So it was just like, I remember it was fish cakes, uh, fish cakes, marvellous. And then off I went. And it was just, right. just, just make, making sure that people around you sort of know your process and then can jump in when they see you're starting to be in a bit of a spin. Yeah. And I wondered whether some people might feel more anxious these days about going back into restaurants because already we're hearing that perhaps there might be less choice on the menu and less flexibility. And I know in a way, restaurants and cafes have done so much more to be flexible about people's dietary needs these days that actually for the vast majority of us, if you went into a restaurant and said, can I have this instead of that with this? And can I just swap that out for this? Most people have been great about it. And I think in the world of quasi-recovery with an eating disorder, that gives people a bit of an option, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. can I swap the chips for a salad, please? You know, and everybody's going to be really accommodating. I suspect that in the new world we're going into, it will pretty much be, it's on the menu, love, have it. Yeah, and it might be one of those case, what case wasn't it? So I know some of the stages people go through with social eating is that they we'll ask where they're going to first, won't we? Won't we? And then maybe go online and look at the menu. Well, obviously that's going to be potentially not there because of whether people can get stuff or because it's not safe to cook it. Um, yeah. I suppose one thing potentially is to sort of just commit to yourself of the type of thing you definitely are going to have. So rather than maybe picking the specifics, because it might be there for that will then create you into an even bigger spin because the specifics aren't there. Yeah. It be right, I'm going out for lunch with my friends and today I'm going to have something that involves eggs. I'm going to have something, I'm just going to have a sandwich. So then you, you've, you've, you've committed to yourself of the type of thing you're going to have. Now, what they've got available and what the fillings are are going to be, you know, yeah. business. Um, I think you're right. I think it's almost narrowing it before you get into the war zone of the actual setting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did similar. It used to be like, okay, so today is bread. Today I, I will, you know, I'm going to do something bread based for my lunch. So whether it's a wrap or a sandwich, when I go to the counter, that's what I'm going to have. Or if we're going out for an evening meal, I just know I'm, I've got in my head, I want fish. So when I go there, it's going to be fish and I won't let the bullshit of my eating disorder tell me I can't have it because when I see it on the menu, it's got a sauce with it or whatever. I'm sticking to fish. Um, yeah. you know, you'd hope to God there were six different versions of a fish. <laughs> <laughs> and then if, you, if, it, if the food comes out and you need a massive, massive cry, have a massive cry. Yeah. And, and don't you think, Sarah, most, I mean, I, it's not going to be many of us that will be going out for meals with people that we don't know so well now. It's not like no. we're going to go out with colleagues or clients that we haven't met before. Most yeah. of the time, it's going to be family and friends who love us dearly, frankly, know about our bullshit of our eating disorder and just want to see us and want to know that our recovery is continuing. So if it's a few tears and tantrums that they get, exactly. then they're going to be okay with that. And they'll, they'll, they'll be more than okay. They'll be pleased it's happening because they'll, they're watching the process. They're watching you get better. And because yeah. it, that's why, again, it's just so important to find those people that you can just be so honest with and saying to them, look, I was at this stage 12 weeks ago. You know how hard I'd worked and, and where I'd got to. I've been locked in the house for 12 weeks. I've gone back a bit. I'm, I need your help again. Yeah. Like, right, come on, then let's all just go. Um, and as you say, I think that's going to be more the case for people. So kind of adults, early adults, maybe anybody that lives on their own who hasn't had someone around them for encouraging of cooking meals and whatever, 
it's it's in those circumstances where the little bowls the odd crockery and cutlery can start to come in the slightly reduced portion sizes you know i think it's those sorts of scenarios which may it may have crept in more for those people than perhaps those who've got a sort of cheerleading clan around them every day in a busy household perhaps yeah and i remember one of the things i i had to work on which is is peculiar when you think about it but then it's all just mad isn't it um was not going to really really pretty or really classy kind of places so i, I had to spend a lot of time like walking into a greg's for instance and going up to a Greg's counter and ordering a sausage roll and a, and a, and a latte and sitting down in the Greg's cafe. Because in me, it was like, no, this is not proper food. It's not homemade. It's not pretty. It doesn't right. have 15 different ingredients in it. It's not on a nice plate. Where's your cutlery? You're eating out of a bag. Oh my God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, so, I, but actually, it's those kind of areas which are the perfect places to be practicing social eating because they're, they're not as expensive. So you're not having to worry about the fact that actually, you know, this yeah. is something that, you know, is going to go through the roof. And actually, yeah, Greg's, if, if you've got portion control issues, everything is perfectly portioned. You know, everything is exactly as it is. There's no, That's there's no surprise. You know, yeah. so, if, you know, if you wanted a sandwich, actually, you could go to a posh place for a sandwich. But if you've got issues at the moment around uh, portioning, you don't know what bitty bit it's going to come with. Yeah. Whereas Greg's, you pick your sandwich off the shelf and it's a sandwich. And a it's coffee. done again and it's and it's you know we're going out to eat with people for the social occasion it really the food is the accessory around which it brings us together and that's kind of where we have to keep reminding ourselves that we're the ones that put the food on the pedestal we're there to be in the company of the friend lover you know colleague whatever and actually food is the accessory to it so i i think that bit is so important we're just supposed to make it really easy so we can concentrate on the conversation that that person wants to have with us for the first time in 12 yeah, weeks exactly but make, make it really easy but don't opt out i think yeah. that commitment side of it isn't it that's the if you're going out for lunch and everyone's eating lunch you can't be the person sat on the sidelines with a black coffee because oh and i've just done that so long and i i think one of the things that happens with really good friends they're good friends but sometimes they don't want to push you so i know that there are certain friends i've gone out with on a regular basis and they would never want to upset me so if i got all the way to the front of the queue and said do you know actually i don't really fancy anything i think i'll have a coffee but you go ahead you have your sandwich and nobody says anything but actually you know why you've done that you know it's not about oh you don't fancy anything you know it's your eating disorder winning and i i think if anybody could treat this new era as a way of stopping bringing those old habits forward i would say like you know jump right in and yeah. like we were talking earlier about accountability and i would say so, you know be fully accountable to yourself walk away from every social occasion have you have saying did i really order that because I only fancied that or didn't fancy that or did I do it because my eating disorder said that was what was the right choice yeah, yeah, yeah. and making sure that you're making the decisions for you you know I've said it before I've known, I used to call it little Sarah that little voice in you that really is you especially in the early start part of your recovery that's screaming to be heard um, just just making sure you're making the right choice for her and you've got your recovery specs on all the time you have not yeah. got anorexia specs on because the minute you put them on you've made the wrong decisions you've not committed to your your, your recovery decisions um something else i did a lot was um food comparison actually once i started going out again and 
I'd look what other people were getting. And so I might have gone there actually quite determined that I fancied something. You know, you might have been kind of going to the restaurant thinking, God, I'm going to have a burger. That's what I've been dying for, really going to have a burger. And then for whatever reason, your friend says, oh, I'm going to have the Caesar salad. And all of a sudden, your head goes, oh, yeah, no, 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 you're right. I Actually, do you know what? I really fancy a salad. And then all of a sudden, anything beyond the lettuce leaves feels like, oh, that would be a sin, even more so because you're really, you know, puritanical friend over there. It's just, and that's you know, really hard. It's really hard to stick to your guns. It really is difficult. Um, but then it's your recovery. It's your body, it's your journey, it's your path in and on the same route. So therefore, and I suppose if it's a really, really brilliant friend, a few days down the line, you could always say, you know, look, I loved going out the other day, but I need to talk to you about the fact that actually when you choose salad, that's really hard for me. And you know the process that I'm in and, and, and you know, I, I need your help. And I had a really odd thing. I remember when I, well, not an odd thing, it was a good thing. When I was at a later stage in my recovery, I remember going out and looking at women and what women were eating and sat thinking, oh my God, women eat pie. Women eat, <laughs> women eat fashion chips. Oh my God, that, that woman over there, she's got garlic bread and pasta and she's having some of the chips off her husband's plate. And I remember feeling like so overwhelmed that, that actually, yeah, women do do this. This has been me that's been sat in this salad of black coffee world. All, yeah. all, all the normal folks, keep saying that word, I hate it, but never mind. Um, they just, they, they're having fish and chips and pie and gravy and, and all this wonderful stuff. And it was, it was a real moment. And I remember actually that day, it was in a local pub up the road and a, uh, I was just my little girl and she was like, Mum, what we're we gonna have? And she was ordering lasagna and I said, I'm gonna have a steak pie and chips. And then oh. her, she was like, Steak pie? I was like, Yep, yeah, steak pie and chips. Um, and I put I remember putting a picture of it on Instagram because it was just such a moment of sort of, I am allowed this. That realisation. And I'm not different, I'm allowed this too. And that was such a massive hurdle for me, actually. I think it's really interesting. You use that word allowed to. So I talk a lot about permission. And, and the, the sort of, I think sometimes when people come for recovery coaching or whatever, or, you know, they drop me an email often, I'm thinking, you're asking me, effectively, you're asking me for permission to be allowed to eat something that is not healthy or is a lot or whatever. You're asking for permission. But I think for anybody that's listening to this, I'll just say, you don't need that permission. You've been undernourishing yourself. You've been mentally and physically starving yourself and living a compromised world. It does not matter if, you know, 10 of us go out to eat and five girls are eating Caesar salad. You've got nothing to justify, no permission needed. You just start eating to restore yourself. And, and it's, it, that, that links, isn't it, with the, the real fear of weight gain? Because when you are poorly to that extent, you are having to eat to gain weight that you never should have lost in the first place yeah so it's 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 a totally different ball game it's not about oh if i eat this i'm going to gain weight like my friend over here it's actually about the fact that we shouldn't have lost we shouldn't have been in that deficit in the first place we, we've made ourselves you know on death star poorly here we've yeah. this stuff that we should we should our body shouldn't look like this our minds shouldn't feel like this That's and so all we through is to make up for lost time i.e eat the damn food and I, I had to keep it re-educating myself about that around like serving sizes on the side of boxes and things. Because, oh, you know, we talk about your bullshit bowl. So 
once I started it out, I mean, I pre-anorexia, I'd always loved cereal, cereal junkie, really loved it. Anything, cereal, muesli, granola, whatever it was, the sugary, the better, you know, yeah. top of the milk as well. Top of the milk, you know, when you could buy, yeah, the, you know, when you had the bottle outside the door and the blue, yeah, bit, the blue the milk. <laughs> So yeah, I was a real cereal lover. And then, so once I got into recovery, it was like, right, I am going to eat my cereal and bloody well enjoy it. And I remember kind of trying to get back into free pouring and everything and pouring what the grams, was it 30 grams or something or other that it says on the side. And you pour that in and you go, oh, okay, that's what I should have. Now, initially I started with that's what I should have. But then the guilt and the sense of greed that used to come when I'd get to the end of it and I'd think, um, yeah, yeah. I quite fancy yeah. some more of that and almost thinking but I've had my bowl of cereal is that bad but just like you say we're the ones that have lost loads of weight we shouldn't have lost in the first place we've got recovery job to do so even whether you live with somebody who's just even if that, that person genuinely thought 30 grams is enough frankly I don't know what adult would but um I think you just need to go back to the cupboard and, yeah. and you know, yeah. only you can eat to the point that you're satiated. The two food types that for me, the portion size is, size is just crackers on the tins was always beans and tuna. Apparently a portion is half a tin of tuna. Who eats half a tin of tuna? Wow. Half a tin of beans. Well, if you actually look at what half a tin of beans is, it, 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 it you know, get lost in the bullshit ball, half a tin of beans. Or it is oh my goodness. Um, and yet, if, you know, if you or I were feeding a child and they wanted tuna and beans in a jacket potato or whatever, you'd just like chuck the whole of the tin in and a load of beans on. And if the leaves on, the leaves on. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, that, that, yeah that, but that, that, that kind of relabeling of things, I don't know about you, but that, that came in at like the worst time possible for me in my actual eating disorder. Um, yeah. When that became real, you know, the whole country was going relabeling everything, wasn't it? That, that hit. That hit anorexia beautifully, but hit me incredibly. Oh, it did. And actually, I heard it again this week that obviously the whole kind of Boris and his obesity drive thing. And I, I bang the drum quite a lot in my sort of local authority area saying, we've got to be really careful about talking about obesity drives. At the same time, you know, you need to be remembering there's a lot of people that have got restrictive eating illnesses. And we can't spend all loads of money and time getting people obsessed about the obesity you know dialogue and not realizing that actually if you're living with a existing mental health issue that challenges your food behaviors that's just going to make things a barrel load worse and I, I understand we've got issues on both sides but we can't emerge in five years time finding that the eating disorders rate has gone kind of you know stratospheric oh yeah because we tried to sort out this traffic light system back over here yeah, well it feeds that um the number um, kind of obsession, doesn't it? The numbers yeah. and, and oh, flipping and don't talk, even start. Oh, you're going to talk about watches and stuff. So my brother, my brother came around to see me last weekend, and he said, "I never see you with your watch on anymore." And I said, "I haven't worn one for years because I literally had to throw mine. I was obsessed, you know, the calories, the number of steps I was walking, and now I mean, pretty much. I know, I know a friend who's um, she's got one for her nine-year-old daughter, and there's a bit of me going not sure i'm comfortable with that yeah, yeah yeah but it is all about the tracking isn't it yes it, it's all you know the the the, the counting of your calories the keeping track of your food the the portion sizing the, the the tracking of your fitbit whatever it's all that same sort of process of of people talk about it being control i'm never for me i'm never was it was a definite it was definitely me controlling something but i'm not quite sure it was about me having to feel like i had control it was just me trying to make sure that i fit within some sort of 
crazy parameters that that uh -huh. I, 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 I arbitrary just sort of put on myself and but again all of that was fine if I'd done x on the treadmill or whatever yeah yeah but yeah but I think that's a big one for people to crack the numbers and the counties that might be a podcast all in itself I think. oh I think definitely <laughs> and uh, you know it, it would be good to get somebody on the kind of counter side of like you know discussing why so many of us do need it because obviously eating disorders come in all shapes and sizes and you know there are people on the other side of the spectrum who will be really struggling with weight gain and with ever being about to kind of find the balance but I think that's the word we don't talk about enough because none of us know what balance is we're also kind of we're busy being told over here that we should not have this and then told over there we should do this and it's just so confusing and yeah sometimes it's easy to just go from one extreme to the other or which again is why it makes it going back to like social eating and cafes makes that even more difficult if you've got that kind of need and that behavior still driving everything as well because again you're not you're not in control of anything that's coming out of that kitchen well here's me hoping that with all the rush to have to reopen lots of the restaurants and cafes will have reprinted menus and won't have printed them with calories on yes i don't know how much you notice that where you are but Obviously, a lot of the chains started putting the calories against certain things, but in a lot of our kind of local restaurants as well on the menus, it had started to say what the calories were. And I, I think even if you didn't have an eating disorder, you would start to look at those and think, oh, so maybe that's better. You know, and I'm not even sure that's right. I, I think um. we all... I think if you've got a, a generally healthy overview of have I overindulged too much this week, then you can kind of make a choice that's right. But do yeah. we need to know to the nth degree the number that sits aside there? I'd rather them say, this has got vitamin A in it, vitamin C in it, and oh, this is packed full of iron. Why didn't they do that? I mean, oh, there's a message for Boris. <laughs> let's get, let's get away the traffic call next week. <laughs> I'll give him a call. I'll give him a call. Yeah, can we stop the labeling with calorie numbers and can we just say what, what nutrients it's got in? Because that's the bit I remember, I remember learning that in, um, in services about actually, you know, the, the real true nutritional value of things. It, that, that really shouts at, you know, that anorexic voice that kicks her in the face when you're actually talking about how absolutely essential to women things like cheese are. Yeah, your eating disorders going no don't be silly because the eating disorder just sees the the fat or just sees the, the cholesterol but actually when you look at it from a and I don't mean a, a disordered macronutrient way I just mean in the fact that it's it's rampant full of all this stuff that us as women at a certain age desperately yeah. um you can start to you know start to shift that orthorexic element in your head but then again like anything it's just challenge your feet challenge your feet practice, practice absolutely actually another thing um for me on the social eating side so you know speak with entire truth if you're comfortable to do so do you think you've ever dropped fr friendships or stepped away from the regularity of meeting with certain friends or family because of their behaviors towards food because i mentioned it and I'm, I'm not going to name any names i'm not going to state for the record i'm definitely doing this but i i do think during lockdown i've kind of revisited certain friendships and social interactions i have it, it just in my mind it's been a long time that you know because i live on my own so i think about the people that i would normally on a saturday meet up with or you know just that i regularly go out with in my life and i i've been finding myself thinking must reassess how that works and yeah. you know even if it's i need to be more honest with a couple of people that i have as friends and say 
I love your sport obsession, but I find it really difficult to talk to you about it. Or I love that you're always on a slimming world or Weight Watchers diet and that you talk to me every week when you come back from your appointment but it's really not appropriate for me. And I need to find my voice to say that without feeling I'm doing anything wrong. Have you ever kind of experienced that with friendships? A hundred percent. And then I started to manufacture it so that any of the meetings weren't around food or cafes and things like that. So a few friends here, I used to always like meet in cafes or or coffee shops. And then suddenly I was, oh, should should we not? Should we, should we meet after lunch? So I know I would eat at home. And should we maybe just take the dogs for a stroll? Um, oh, what a brilliant so idea. Got a reframe in the meeting just so that I could kind of protect myself in a way. Um, yeah. But then vice versa, those people that I knew actually who were brilliant role models for me in food places that I might not have met in food places, I was then saying, actually, do you fancy meeting in a cafe? Um, and, and I would right. make a decision before I went that I would just follow their lead. So I would sit in a cafe with a menu like, oh yeah, what you have, what you have. And they might go, oh, I'm going to have Eggs Benedict. Oh, that sounds lovely. I love Eggs Benedict. So I wouldn't yeah. have any choice myself. But because I knew that they were really positive role models in terms of food, I would just make the decision. I'm just going to go with whatever they had. But it's, it's kind of that mirroring behavior that apparently in psychology we all do, don't we? Of anybody, you know, when we're sitting opposite them with the whatever, we mirror friendships and behaviors and, you know, body composure and whatever. So actually let's learn the art of mirroring in a healthy way. So find yeah. the find the people that are our positive cheerleaders or influencers, whatever, for our life and be around them more and echo what they do without looking like some really weird stalker that's just exactly i'm just gonna one second i'm just showing my door she's disappeared my dad had come in and the door was open so Uh, little girls clanking about so i thought i better shut it i remember my uh, my mother-in-law's a big pudding eater right um we always meet them uh, well we used to meet them quite often on a saturday in a local pub and uh I knew fine well that Susan would always have a pudding. So initially it was like, oh my God, the pudding, the pudding, the pudding. But then it was that mirroring. It was sort of like, well, I'll have my dinner, whatever she has. And I knew fine well she would always say, right, then we have to get the puddings out. And that was my kind of permission. I know we said we right. need from permission. But at one stage, that was my permission of, look, my mother-in-law, who I respect and love dearly, she's going to have chocolate cake now. So you have chocolate cake. Um, I, I just thought maybe needed that at that stage to gain, get me over that hump that, like I said, all these women in this room, they're all having pie, they're all having fish and chips, they're all having sticky toffee pudding and look how wonderful their lives are and they're with their kids and, not, you know, there's not, nothing's happening, the heads aren't exploding and their, their legs aren't falling off just because they've had a sticky toffee pudding. Uh, and it, it's almost it's the complete antithesis to like that Instagram world isn't it because I, I think so much about no one would dare like well, I guess people do but perhaps we less follow them so the, the kind of influences that you see that have got really good following they want to show the pictures of that clean food and you know that real oh look at me being all virtuous with this you know amazing vegetable whatever that's got zero calories in it and actually isn't that appetizing but look at my lean beautiful body but actually what we're not doing is tapping into oh look that person looks like they're entirely on their own she's got fabulous lighting for her photography but clearly she's got no one in her life she hasn't got any family she hasn't got children whatever whereas what exactly what you're saying there about 
the kind of, you know, the cakes, the puddings and whatever, but actually leading a happy life, perfectly, you know, cheery and isn't really overthinking the food and putting it on the pedestal. Not thinking about it at all. You know, when you're seeing people in those social, so that are eating their dinner and they're looking and they're chatting to the mate and they've just nicked a, a bit of roast potato off this person and then they're, they're continuing with their own food and they're looking over to their dad and they've just nicked a bit of whatever off his plate. They're actually not thinking about it at all. It's all about yeah. the fact that they're with the people that they love, they're with, they're with people that they care about, they're having a nice time and they're all just digging in because buffets there's another podcast all by itself Buffets <laughs> and i were a huge nemesis at one point but okay so so did you find buffets really tricky uh, nightmare yeah really? really hard yeah um all you know queuing for starters having to feel like you've been in a queue um the overwhelming choice that was in front of you the fact that my gut, my natural reaction would be to have one of us something, but what actually if I then got to the table and I was starving, so actually I should have had three of them and three of them. And people, then the guilt of going back for seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and people say, oh, go back, go back. Everyone's going back, and yeah, they do, but ooh, at one point I didn't want to be the person that you know was the one going back for seconds, thirds, fourths. Um, yeah, buffets are hard, hard, hard. I think I think in the current climate, I think buffets are going to be pretty much off the yeah, agenda. So, yeah, so I don't yeah. think you need to worry about buffets anytime <laughs> soon. Oh. oh, well, I think we've done an amazing job of a bit of an overview on uh, social dining, but it'd be great to hear from anybody else on what their kind of experiences are and whether they mirror ours or what nightmares they've had. I guess. And like I said, like you know, putting together a shared toolkit for folks, just so you can sort of like cherry pick you know pick a mix of ideas that you can go away and and have a practice with and and just just stick to a few to get yourself into into the habit and then as soon as you think right it's time for that habit to be broken then add a couple extras in and a couple of extras and before you know it you'll be a social eating pro and i think the one thing is you know keep trying and keep moving forward because if you stagnate if you stand still and say i can't do this i'm gonna st-, you know i'm not trying well then you're not trying on your recovery and you know the perfect definition of madness if you always do what you've always done you always get what you've always got so yeah, yeah. somewhere along the line and and i do think however hard this few months has been i think as we start to emerge now this is our opportunity you know if you've been entrenched in a, a, a sort of a cycle even if you have been recovered previously with your eating disorder you know open the front door on that new chapter as you start going back into social dining and saying i'm not taking the bullshit with me this time that's not coming in my handbag i just can't be doing with it yeah our new normal should be a commitment to real recovery not not a halfway yeah. house but a real because it is possible i know people say it isn't possible and clinicians have even told me that you know full recovery is not possible it is 100 percent possible but it just takes effort and time and commitment and acceptance that it's it's going to be tough and you are going to cry but it's more than doable yeah yeah and what is it my grandmother used to say anything worth having doesn't come easy you've got to keep trying and trying and trying and be prepared to fail but you know it's kind of fall down, get back up again. And just, as you say, challenge, repeat, challenge, repeat, because um, it's not easy. And I, I think it would be wrong of us to make light of it. And I, I wouldn't do that to anybody. The longer you've been entrenched in it, it's just going to feel like such a hard battle. But, you know, um, God, the life out on the other side is so much more worth it, you know. It's so much better. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much, Sarah. Nice to chat to you. And you, lovely seeing you again. You take care and take care. All right, take care. Bye. Bye.